like that. You want to try that. Welcome, 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 welcome all to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Cedar Falls edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And of course, as you know, it is Friday, November 13th. Friday the 13th. What an intriguing day. Now, it's not the Friday the 13th, but it's still a scary day. Friday the 13th strikes fear into the heart of everybody that hears the name, or not name, but hears the word, or letters, or numbers, whatever, of Friday the 13th. But obviously, I'm recording this on a Thursday. We've gone back to the recording it the day before thing. We did this on Tuesday, recorded it for Wednesday. Now we're back doing the same thing for Friday the 13th. And boy, oh boy, do we have a fun show today. So obviously, with it being Friday, it is Friday Fun Day, as all of you are, I would assume, well aware of at this point. If you've been listening to the Logan Blackman Show for long enough, you would know what Friday Fun Day is, and that is where we do a tier list of a random topic that I come up with the day of, or the day before, or as I'm doing the show. And today, it's a good one. So yesterday, or two days ago, since you're listening to this on Friday, Wednesday, November 11th, was my birthday. So because of that, I'm going to look at the first quarterback taken in every draft since 1997. Now, I've only been alive since the 1998 draft. But we are still going to look at since 97 was my birth year. We will look at the quarterback taken in 1997 because I, I bet a lot of people that are listening to this show have not heard of the quarterback that was taken in the 1997 draft. The first quarterback taken in the 1997 draft. Because there's quarterbacks in every draft that we're going to look at that I believe everybody knows at least decently well or at least heard of them. I would suspect the casual football fan will have never heard of this person. Why? Because he had a very short NFL career and played barely more games than you or I have in the NFL, which is not a great thing when you really think about it. We're also going to look at the U.S. men's national team. Their first friendly is today. It's been their first friendly in a while. So you'll see these nice, nice jerseys they got on. Whether it be the blue ones, my personal favorite is the white ones because they got the retro look to them. I love the white Nike jerseys the U.S. men's national team is rocking this year. And boy, oh boy, this is the most excited I have been for a U.S. men's national team game in a while. They're playing Wales today. Now, the sad news coming out of the U.S. men's national team camp is the fact that Christian Pulisic, the United States best player, and probably, well, at least I would hope, be the next captain of the United States men's national team because he's the best player. He's Captain America. You can't have the nickname Captain America and give the captaincy to say Tim Ream. That's not, you can't do that. Now, there's other players you could give the captaincy to because if you saw in the Gold Cup, uh, to, what was it, two years ago now? It probably was two years ago. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago when they lost to Mexico in Chicago, which like they always do. And had a pretty fun tournament. We did a whole video series on that, predicting the lineups each game. They rotated the captaincy each and every game. I think it went, uh, no order, but I think Bradley was a captain. Thank God he's not going to be in the team anymore. At least I would hope. Great beer halters. Like, we got players that are a thousand more ta- ta- a thousand times more talented 
than Michael Bradley. And a player that plays in the position of Michael Bradley is Tyler Adams, who did not play in the Gold Cup with Drew due to injury. And at that time, Grave Beerhalter, the manager of the U.S. men's national team, was playing him as like a... Okay, just as an example, if you've watched soccer or football for a long enough time, you have known the German national team or Bayern Munich or whatever. Philip Lahm is a natural holding midfielder, but played everywhere. Played holding midfield, played right back and left back. When Germany won the World Cup, he was playing left back. When he was on Bayern Munich, he most of the time was playing right back because David Alaba was playing left back. But he played right back and obviously could suit well at center midfield because that was his natural position. That's the same thing as Tyler Adams. But the difference is Tyler Adams rarely plays right back. And when he plays for RB Leipzig in Germany, he's playing as a number six, sometimes as a number eight, but mostly a number six. And that's where he's going to be playing one with suspect for this U.S. men's national team. And if Bearhalter wants to go with the system that he's been doing since he's taken charge of the 4-3-3, which he's rarely backed off of since he's been the head coach of the United States soccer team, then you one would suspect if Pulisic's healthy, now Pulisic's natural position is the left wing, where he can cut in, run at defenders, and all that stuff. But Bearhalter wants him to be on the ball as much as possible, as most teams would like their best players to be. Like for Lionel Messi, I'm not trying to compare Christian Pulisic to Lionel Messi, the greatest player of all time, but... When Messi plays for Barca, until this year, Barca played a 4-3-3. Now they're playing a more of a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 with an attacking midfielder type thing. And Messi's playing right behind the striker. But normally, in the history of Barcelona, other than that year with Pep Guardiola, he's played as a right winger. But he plays as a number 10 when he's playing for the Argentinian national team. Same with Pulisic. Pulisic plays left wing when he's playing for Chelsea and at Dortmund before. He's probably going to play as a number 8 with a more advanced position, we'll have Weston McKinney being the more box-to-box guy, and then Pulisic has the the free reign to go more forward, more go more up the field, which means Giovanni Reina will more than likely, when this is when everyone's healthy, Giovanni Reina, the son of U.S. men's national team legend Claudio Reina, will be playing as the left winger, and there's going to be competition for the right wing spot. Obviously, this team is mostly young players from Europe. Because Greg Beerhalter, ever since taking over, other than the Gold Cup, has primarily used a strong inclusion, I guess, of MLS players. A lot of his teams have been very, very, very MLS-oriented, using players that hadn't really been getting chances with the U.S. men's national team, other uh, under like Bruce Arena or especially Jurgen Klinsmann, did not use a lot of the MLS players other than the already established U.S. men's national teams players like Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, etc. Those were the only style of players that would get chances really under that. Jordan Morris, who is a finalist for the MLS MVP, should be the starting right wing when everybody is healthy. But obviously Tim Weah is going to get some competition and force some competition there. Paul Areola has recently come back from an injury. I think it was 288 days out, and he just came back the other night for DC United. He'll provide competition for the right wing. I don't think as much competition as Tim Way, even though Paul Areola has played quite a bit under Greg Beerhalter. But again, this is the whole MLS style that Greg Beerhalter, Greg Beerhalter, former manager of the Columbus Crew, 
bringing in a lot of MLS players, young players, along with that. And the only MLS player in this team is one of Greg Beerhalter's favorite players, and that is Sebastian Legette, who plays for the LA Galaxy. Very hardworking, can play central midfield, can play out wide, but mostly used as a central midfielder, sometimes as a number 10, but mostly as a number 8 for LA Galaxy. He'll be utilized as probably that number 8 role for the U.S. men's national team. If you look at the squad the U.S. has got going for this game, and I know we were talking about captains earlier, the other captains that we forgot to mention before we got on that tangent of Michael Bradley going off in the MLS players. The other captains of that Gold Cup team were Michael Bradley, McKinney, Pulisic, Stefan, Tim Ream was a captain, and I think that might have been it, unless I'm totally blanking on someone. I know Aaron Long was his first captain, Greg Beerhalter's first captain as head coach of the U.S. men's national team. But I don't know if he had if he wore the armband at all during the Gold Cup. But I know Aaron Long was the first captain other under Greg Beerhalter. He is not in this squad because, as I said, it is a very heavy European style of team. Some of the consistent players in this team are Zach Steffen, who is the undoubted number one goalie for the U.S. men's national team. No matter what armchair analyst Matt Doyle says, it is not Matt Turner. Matt Turner is not scaring Zach Steffen's starting job. That is the one of the worst takes. Because one of the things, this is another really random tangent. Some of you don't, might not know who Matt Turner is. Matt Turner is the number one goalie for the New England Revolution in the MLS. His analysis of Matt Turner is so strange because he has gone on and said Matt Turner is above where Zach Steffen was at this point in his career but the part that is interesting about saying Matt Turner is above Zach Steffen in regards of development is Zach Turner Zach Matt Turner is a year older than Zach Steffen yeah 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 but Matt Turner's developed a lot more at the same time as Zach Steffen. He's older than him. I would expect him to have... <laughs> I, do, I just don't get it. It's one of the dumbest takes I've seen. Zach Steffen is unchallenged. And I think the closest thing to a competition Zach Steffen has for this number one jersey is Sean Johnson for NYCFC. Not the Olympian Sean Johnson. And then Ethan Horvath as well. Matt Turner is not scaring a starting job. I would predict by the 2022 World Cup, the goalies are Zach Steffen, Sean Johnson, and Ethan Horvath. Because Greg Beerhalter really likes Sean Johnson. I said, I would say Bill Hamid has been, what do we want to call this? More hard done by by U.S. men's national team managers than, say, a Sean Johnson. Because I think Bill Hamid has had a better career than Sean Johnson. Not necessarily in Norway, but in MLS circumstances, I think Bill Hamid has been the better goaltender. But... Sean Johnson's got more chances, now two more chances, but that's who I would predict would go to the World Cup in Qatar in 2022 for goalies. Zach Steffen, again, unchallenged, but he is in that team. Sergio Dest, the Barcelona right back, is in the team. Whew. Thank the Lord he decided to represent the United States instead of the Netherlands because that is awesome. Matt Miazga, he's a pretty much a staple fixture in Greg Beerhalter's teams. He's over at Anderlecht right now. You can usually see him... Matt, uh, Walker Zimmerman, who's in the running for MLS Defender of the Year, and Aaron Long as far as the other center back. With John Brooks, he's been hurt a lot. He's the best center back the U.S. men's national team has, but he's hurt all the time. If he's healthy, undoubted start. Now, I would start Aaron Long next to him, but again, 
They're doing the more European thing. Matt Miazga will probably get the start next to him. But Chris Richards, young defender for Bayern Munich, should get a run-in of games with this current team. Tim Ream, I would expect him to be the backup left back to Anthony Robinson, who plays over in Fulham. That's what, because Greg Beerholter has never really played him at center back, even though his natural position is center back. And he's by far the oldest player on this team. He's the only player above 30 or even 29 on this team. And <laughs> he'll be the backup left back. He's, his legs are pretty much gone, but Bearhalter trusts him because he's a very experienced defender. And then he got Reggie Cannon. If Now, this has been some talks as well. Serginio Dest, when he first broke through at Ajax, was playing as a left back. Would play, obviously, is a more natural right back, plays right back for Barcelona, but has played left back for Ajax. Reggie Cannon is a natural right back and who has gotten a lot of minutes under Greg Beerholder. Got put in the Gold Cup team because of Tyler Adams getting injured. And then was DeAndre Yedlin even in the. De, DeAndre Ed, Yedlin withdrew his name for the men's national team. Because uh, he was trying to, like, I can't represent my country if this is how we're going to do things. DeAndre Yedlin lost his place forever ago. So I, I respect what he was doing, like, as a political statement, I guess you could say. But he wasn't scaring a starting job or even a roster spot anyways with the likes of Sergio Dest and Reggie Cannon, who have already surpassed him in the peck, not only in the pecking order, but at skills anyways. DeAndre Yedlin's been found out at Newcastle. He's just a pace merchant. Same thing with, like, Daniel James of Manchester United. He doesn't do anything. He's just fast. So, on one hand, cool, you are standing up for something that you believe in. On the other hand, it doesn't matter because you weren't in the team anyways. You haven't played. I don't remember the last time DeAndre Yedlin's played for Gray Beerhalter. It's been for freaking ever. At least it feels like it's been forever. It's been just under a year. November 19th was the last game he got called up for. I don't even know if he played. Remember how much hype there was when uh, Jurgen Klinsmann was there? He's playing for Seattle Sounders and Tottenham. That has all died down. And surprising that he's got 62 caps. Good Lord. But yeah, those Reggie Cannon, Sergio Dest are the top two right backs. Unquestioned. I would even say uh, Nick Lima has passed DeAndre Yedlin as the starting right back. <laughs> that's And that's not a good thing. Nothing against Nick Lima, but he's he's passed. DeAndre Yedlin but then he got who did we mention anybody else for the defenders no that's pretty much it the midfielders the most exciting part of this U.S. team one would suggest with Tyler Adams Weston McKinney Pulisic who is not playing in this game but Richie Ledesma who plays over in PSV he's a number 10 he's a very exciting prospect for PSV and then you got Eunice Musa who plays over in Spain for Valencia can represent England has represented England in underage levels and I can't remember the other country he could represent. Maybe there's two more, but he's in the U.S. camp. Serginio Dest has been one tasked in recruiting him because they both play over in Spain, and he accepted a call up to the U.S. men's national team. And with the direction the U.S. men's national team is going at this point in time, you'd be hard-pressed not to find a lot of young players that would not want to play for this team. By 2026, I know this has been kind of repetitive or talked about a lot but this team should be awesome by 2026 and this roster is one of the most exciting young rosters I have seen in a very very long time and like before we get for, before we forget to talk about the attackers Giovanni Reina the creme de la creme of this attack wearing the number seven for the U.S. men's national team today 
Mwah. Love it. Because he's going to be the number seven. He's not taking his dad's number, number 10, because that's Pulisic's number. Pulisic's the best player on the team. He's going to be very well may be the first U.S. player that's been quote-unquote world-class ever. Closest thing the U.S. has had to a world-class player has been Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey. But even then, Donovan didn't do anything in Europe, so that's a lot of people outside of the United States don't really rate him that highly in regards to world-class. Clint Dempsey did well for Fulham, not necessarily with Tottenham. And I would say... I'm a little biased too because he's my all my favorite soccer player of all time. He was the reason I wore number eight in soccer was Clint Dempsey. I think Clint Dempsey is the greatest United States men's national team player of all time. I know Donovan's got the plaudits. He's got the MLS MVP award named after him. But Dempsey, when he got the captaincy stripped and handed to Michael Bradley, they sucked. Clint Dempsey was a vocal, emotional leader that led by example. Michael Bradley was... None of that. He didn't lead by example because he stinks. It's just kind of hard to lead by example when you're not very good. And he wasn't really a leader as far as I could do. When Clint, I understood why Dempsey got the captaincy taken away from him because he ripped up a referee's book. It was a very dumb thing to do, especially at a U.S. Open Cup. That's like no big-name players really care about the MLS Open Cup until it's further down the line, but they were playing at the Sounders Youth Team Stadium. It wasn't even at CenturyLink Field. It didn't matter at that time. But he ripped up the referee's book, and then Jurgen Klinsmann had a knee-jerk reaction, took the capsie away from him. Clint Dempsey has been the best captain for the United States. You saw what they did at the World Cup. In the group of death, they weren't expected to do anything. With Dempsey leading the line for the United States, U.S. should and they should have beaten Belgium if Chris Wondolowski wasn't in the team, which Chris Wondolowski, one of the greatest, no, he is the greatest goal scorer in MLS history, but he couldn't score for shit with the United States men's national team. It was so frustrating. And he missed a sitter against Belgium. And Julian Green, we haven't even talked about Julian Green, who scored the lone goal in that game. Where the hell is he? I can't even tell you what he's doing right now. He was the Christian Pulisic before the Christian Pulisic. He has fallen off the face of the frickin' earth, man. But Chris Wondolowski, that was a big drama anyway, selecting him over Landon Donovan. With Jurgen Klinsmann and Donovan kind of falling out. Klinsmann fell out with a lot of great players. He fell out with Fabian Johnson, who was the best overall player the U.S. had. You could play him freaking everywhere, and he didn't complain. And then he pulled his hamstring against Mexico in uh, the Confederations Cup like championship. Not the Confederations Cup, the Gold Cup like final thing to go to the Confederations Cup. And he said, well, if he's hurt now, he better not be playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Then he's out injured. And then since then, Fabian Johnson has been called up. I don't get that. He fell out with Tim Howard. Tim Howard had a sabbatical. And then we had to witness the, the error-prone ways of U.S. Men's National Team version of Brad Guzan. Don't want to watch Brad Guzan play goalie for the United States. He's not the best goalie we had. So the things with Donovan, with Johnson, with Howard, and even Clint Dempsey taking the captaincy away from him, those are four of the best players for the greatest players at least John, uh, Dempsey Donovan and Howard the three greatest players of the 21st century for the United States Fabian Johnson is one of the most talented players they've had and Klinsman fell out with all of them which is very disappointing but I think Dempsey overall compare go back to the original point of him and Donovan I think Dempsey's the best overall player the U.S. has ever had he's the GOAT of United States soccer we also got in this squad along with Giovanni Reina Conrad De La Fuente plays over at Barcelona as well. His over there with uh, Serginho Dest made his first team debut late last season, so just a couple months ago. 
Ed has played some in this season as well. You also got Timothy Weah, son of Liberian legend George Weah. Played very played quite a bit of games when Greg Beerhalter first got the job. Has kind of struggled for playing time with Leo Lille in France. Heard he's on a move to say Etienne at some point. At least that was linked. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. And I don't know if it's a loan deal or a permanent deal. Time will tell on that. But he'll be the one pushing Jordan Morris for that right wing spot. Even though I think Jordan Morris thoroughly deserves that right wing spot for the U.S. men's national team. And then you got Ulysses Lainez. Plays over for Wolfsburg, but he's at Herdenveen now, over in the Netherlands. A very young attacking player. He's got one game and one goal. I think it was a penalty, if I remember correctly. He scored a penalty in his one game for the United States men's national team. Yeah, this team is exciting. Players like Stefan, Dest, Robinson, Cannon, Brooks, Richards, Adams, McKenzie, Giovanni Reina, Tim Weah, Conrad De La Fuente. This is just a team. Jonas Musa. This is an awesome team. I am so excited to watch this team. And then once you insert Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent withdrew from the team as well. He was going to be called, he he was going to be awesome for this team as well. He is going to be awesome for this team. But you know what? Gray Beerhalter will call continually call it Giassi's artist. So we'll probably have three strikers play, at least be on the roster for the 2022 World Cup. It'll be Altidore, Zardes, and Sargent. All playing. U.S. brought four strikers to, uh, when was the last World Cup they went to? Brazil. Brought Altidore, Aaron Johansson, if you remember him, and then Chris Wondolowski. And then Dempsey, it, he wasn't really listed as a striker. He was kind of like a Wayne Rooney type, where he didn't he wasn't a striker, but he played striker and did very, very well at striker. And unless, for, I don't know why he retired early. He should be the U.S.'s all-time leading goal scorer. He's tied with Landon Donovan on the all-time goal-scoring chart. But if I'm making a 23-man roster for the 2022 World Cup, and now that's two years away, the World Cup is probably we're a month away from two years away from the World Cup in Qatar. So I would go with the goalies, Zach Stefan, Sean Johnson, Ethan Horvath. That's my goalies I'm going with. Sean Johnson being the backup. Defenders, starting at the two right-back spots, I'm going Dest and Cannon. I think that's fairly easy. Left-backs, Robinson and Tim Ream. Tim Ream bringing the experience. Because it's going to be a youthful team. He'll bring a lot of experience to that team. 35 years old. It's always nice to have. He doesn't even need to play. But he'll bring that experience, that leadership that this young team could need. And then at center backs, I'm going to bring four. John Brooks, Aaron Long, Chris Richards, and Matt Miazga will be my four defenders. Walker Zimmerman will get talked about in this. He's in the running, as we said, for the MLS Defender of the Year. And he, Greg Beerhalter likes playing himself. Some Walker Zimmerman. Partnered. Aaron Long on a few occasions during the Gold Cup a few years ago. Obviously, Mark McKenzie will get a mention in there as well. The young defender from Philadelphia Union, also in the running for MLS Defender of the Year. Those will get talked about as well, but I would go Long and Brooks as the two best defenders the U.S. has at their disposal. Then Miazga and Chris Richards. Chris Richards, I don't know if he'll be playing for Bayern Munich in two years, but he should be starting consistently somewhere. Cameron Carter-Vickers will get talked about a little bit as well. Eric Palmer-Brown, who's kind of been forgotten about ever since he left Sporting Kansas City for Manchester City. Don't know what he's doing now, but he could ride his career around at some point and be put himself back in the conversation, but that would be my four. So there we got, how many do we have? So we have three goalies, two right backs, two left backs, 
four defenders. We're at 11 players right now. Midfielder Tyler Adams as the holding one. Jackson Ewell will be his backup from San Jose Earthquakes. Then Weston McKinney will be on the team. Oh, wait, we're going to do four, so right now we're at 14. Then Christian Pulisic will be in there as well. Sebastian Legette will be in there, I would believe so, with how much Greg Beeralder likes him. Brandon Aronson from the Philadelphia Union will be playing for Red Bull Salzburg under Jesse Marsh pretty soon in January, so that'll be very exciting. He'll have to be in the team as well. Giovanni Reina has to be in the team. He'll be a guaranteed starter for whoever at that point. I heard Real Madrid are linked with him, so if he's playing for Real Madrid, we have a U.S. player playing for Real Madrid and two for Barcelona. That is exciting stuff. Then I'm going to have to go with uh, Jordan Morris in this team as well. Then Josie Altidore, Josh Sargent, Jayassi Zardes, and then am I forgetting somebody? I might be forgetting somebody big. Did I say Tim Weah? I don't know if I said Tim Weah or not, but I'm going to say Tim Weah again. And if I didn't, then Conrad De Fuente. If I didn't say, if I already said Tim Weah, if not, then that's what I would say. I would think that team might shock some people. I'm not saying win the World Cup. I'm I, As I've said before, I'm pessimistic most of the time about my teams, but this is an exciting team. I'm very excited to watch this U.S. men's national team develop as the years continue. It's going to be freaking awesome. Who is not excited to watch this MLS team? This is going to be freaking sweet. Good Lord. And since we're on the topic of soccer, I'm going to wait to do the the Friday fun day thing. We're on the topic of soccer, so might as well just do this anyways. The MLS playoff bracket has been announced. Got announced a couple days ago. I thought we should do this now because the first games will be taking place, I mean, on November 20th, but might as well just do it now, or we can do it later, but we'll do it now. We'll check up on it the, probably when this tournament's actually going to kick off, but for right now, let's just look at the bracket now, and then we'll, then we'll make some predictions. Nashville versus Miami, uh, two new bloods in the MLS playing each other in the, the, the play-in games, I guess, in the Eastern Conference play-in games, so you got... Philadelphia Union is going to be waiting their opponent. They won the support, Supporter Shield. For those of you who don't know, the Supporter Shield's pretty much the regular season champion. So in any other league other than the MLS, they would be the champions. If you look over in England, you got the Premier League, you got the Premier League Trophy, whoever has the most points at the end of the season wins. Bundesliga, you got the Shield. Same with their Divisie, they got a Shield as well. Serie A, Ligue 1. Like, all of these leagues, La Liga, you got all these leagues that once the season is done, whoever has the most points wins the season, wins the game, wins the wins the league, is what I should say. But in America, we love ourselves some playoffs. But the Philadelphia Union, I believe this is their first supporter shield, led by Brandon Aronson being their best player, and then actually, no, he's not, Andre Blake, who we have talked about a lot on the Logan Blackman show, from the Gold Cup all the way till whenever. It's undoubtedly the best goaltender in the MLS. He's a conversation for the MVP. So I wonder who's going to win the goalkeeper of the year. Why'd they even throw anybody else in there? <laughs> it's going to be Andre Blake. He basically held Philadelphia Union in the MLS's back tournament, was one of the key reasons that they won the Supporter Shield. They got some good players on that team. We already talked about Brendan Aronson and Andre Blake. Then Mark McKenzie, we talked about a little bit for the U.S. men's national team. And they're running for MLS Defender of the Year. How young is uh, Mark McKenzie? He's 21 years old. He's two years younger than me. And he's already winning MLS. I mean, whatever. I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. 
but they're an exciting team. Other team in a, the running for the MLS, uh, who is, who's going to play another play-in team, is Toronto FC. have been to a few MLS Cups in the past recent years. They have a very experienced team. Unlike the Philadelphia Union, who have a very young, a talented team spirited by Aronson, McKenzie, and Blake, they've got a more experienced team. So you look like Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, Alejandro Puzello, who's in the running for the MVP this year as well. Nick DeLeon, an MLS veteran. Justin Morrow, an MLS veteran. Pablo Piatti. Like we got players. Marky Delgado. We got all these players coming through with this team. Alex Bono. I don't know if Alex Bono's the starter. I would assume he's still the starter there. Just an average MLS goalkeeper. But I would guess he's still the starter. He has to still be the starter. Right? I haven't really been following the Tor- Toronto FC that closely because when I don't really care about Toronto FC or the city of Toronto as well. Remember when they tried to do those games with the Bills going up to Toronto? That worked out fantastically. But they got some talented players. Experience is key in the playoffs. But for the the play-in games, I'm, I mean, this is boring, but I think I'm just going to go with Nashville who beat Miami and then this one might actually be close. The New England Revolution versus the Montreal Impact, coached by Thierry Henry. Got a few big name, pretty big name European, former European players. Victor Wanyama is there. Boyan Kirkic is there as well. Former Barcelona Stoke City player is there. Obviously, we just said Thierry Henry is there, been coaching. Uh, who do I go with? The New Englands, I think they're still coached by Bruce Arena. I'm going to go with. The New England Revolution was the two top seeds, Nashville and New England, winning those games there. So once we go on to the tournament, so we'll have, what, lower winners. So New England will play Philadelphia, and Nashville will play Toronto. Nashville, very solid defense, spearheaded by Walker Zimmerman, who we've talked about before. So that will help them in that, I would suspect, against 10th-seeded Miami. But Miami and Montreal... They might cost for some prices. But let's start off in the Eastern Conference, since that's comes before W in the alphabet. Philadelphia Union, I don't care who they play. Whether <laughs> whether it's Miami, whether it's Montreal, whether it's New England, because they're playing the lower seed, they can't play Nashville. But whoever it is, they will. I would assume they'd win. Having Mark McKenzie and Andre Blake in the back is massive for those teams. Other team, other games we got going on here. The next one, Orlando City SC versus NYCFC. We're gonna go with Orlando there. They had experience in the playoffs. Now I know the MLS's back tournament is different from this playoff bracket, but Mueller, not the Noah Mueller you all know and love, but this Mueller has been absolutely balling out. He's been a constant in a lot of analysis analysts to MLS best 11s this year. He's had himself a fantastic year, and obviously Nani's still there as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Orlando City SC beating NYC FC. Then I'm going to go with the Columbus Crew beating the New York Red Bulls. They're the Columbus Crew. They should have done so much better in the MLS's back tournament. That that was a shame. That was a damn shame how bad they did in the second round of the playoffs. And I think if my memory serves me right, they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Which is ridiculous. I think they were the lone team that didn't allow a single goal in the actual tournament, if my memory Serves me right. And then I'm going to go with Toronto because of the experience they have in the playoffs versus who did we say they would play? New England? 
yeah, I'm going to go with Toronto there. But I'm not going to have Toronto advance. I'm going to have Columbus go on and then Philadelphia go on to beat Orlando City. And before we go to the MLS Cup, let's go to the Western Conference. So let's go through the matchups real quick. Sporting Kansas City versus San Jose Earthquakes. Minnesota United versus Colorado, Colorado Rapids, not the Avalanche. Portland Timbers versus FC Dallas. And the Seattle Sounders versus LAFC. Sporting, the number one overall seed. My team will beat San Jose. At least I would hope so. I would hope they'd beat San Jose. That team is too talented. Peter Ramiz has cemented himself as the greatest manager in MLS history by getting going to a ninth MLS playoff, which is the most in MLS history. And let's see if he can get another MLS Cup in this. Minnesota United versus the Colorado Rapids. Minnesota has, if my memory serves me right, Minnesota has had decent success against Colorado this season. So I'm going to go with Colorado or Minnesota over Colorado in this game. Now, Minnesota's goaltending issues, young young goalie, St. Clair in there for Minnesota. See how he does once the playoffs get underway. Portland versus Dallas. Do I want to do a 6-3 upset here? No. Portland, they've got too many talented players. Diego Valeri, one of the greatest players in MLS history. Diego Chara, one of the best players in the MLS still in his ripe old age of mid-30s I think he's 34 years old he might be a little younger than that maybe he's older I'm not really sure I'm not going to look it up and then again clean sweep for all the higher seeds Seattle beating LAFC I think they'll be close because obviously you got one of the best players if not the best player in the MLS even though he hasn't played a lot this year and Carway, did he get hurt I'm thinking about that I haven't followed LAFC all season but I think Sporting's going to beat Minnesota but I am going to go with Seattle beating Portland and beating Sporting Kansas City to get to the MLS Cup versus the Philadelphia Union. So we got Seattle versus Philly in the MLS Cup final. Seattle's been there before. I'm going to go with Seattle. They got two players in the conversation for the MLS MVP in Jordan Morris and Nicholas Lodero. Again, they have been here and done that. They have been, I think, Oh crap! How many how many finals have they been to recently? Oh crap! They've won two recently, and they've been to another one. I think they've been to three of them recently. I think three of the last four, or something like that. They've been playing. They're awesome. They're a really good team, spearheaded by Jordan Morris and Nicholas Odera. But Raul Rudiez is there as well. Has been one of the better players in the MLS this season as well. Christian Roldan who has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit in the U.S. men's national team camp, was there quite a while for the U.S. Obviously got Stefan Fry, one of the better experienced goaltenders in the MLS. Roman Torres, one of the better big-bodied center backs in the MLS. He scored the winning penalty against Toronto when they won their first MLS Cup in Toronto, if my memory serves me right. He's got a giant after. He also scored the goal that saw the U.S. get eliminated from the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Uh, U.S. didn't help themselves either by losing to Trinidad and Tobago, who were last place to qualifying group. But you know what? We're not here to talk about the U.S. men's national team's players or failures because we're looking towards the future. But Ronan Torres, Roman Torres did score. I think he scored both those goals I was talking about. But yeah, they're just, they're so good. They got so many good players on this team. Miguel Ibarra, 
Remember when he got called to the U.S. Men's National Team? <laughs> that was a that was a weird time when he was playing for Minnesota United when they were the in the U.S.C. when the oh, what was that thing called? Oh, crap. What is the what is the league below the MLS called? I'm blanking. Oh no, I can't remember. The Iowa team's gonna be in it. Oh no, the championship, the USL championship, United States Soccer League championship. Okay, yes, USL. I think that's right. That has to be right, right? Please tell me that's right. I'm not going to look it up because if I'm wrong, it's going to hurt me. But I am going to go with the Seattle Sounders winning the MLS Cup by a score of 2-0 is what I'm going to say is the final there. Conference final total goals, Sporting Kansas City versus Seattle. Um, let's go five. And then in Columbus versus Port uh, Philly, let's go with three. No, four. Yeah, nine's a cool number. But that is what we've got right now. We got Sporting Kansas City versus beating San Jose, Minnesota beating Colorado, Portland beating FC Dallas. I'm not comfortable with that FC Dallas one. FC the reason I'm not comfortable with that is not necessarily how FC Dallas does against Portland. It's how FC Dallas has done against Sporting Kansas City, which I know has no relevance or Yeah, no relevance in the situation of them playing Portland. But they're a tricky team. I am going to still go with Portland because, again, they got experience on that squad. And then Seattle beating LAFC. And then Sporting beating Minnesota. And Seattle beating Portland for the Cascadia Cup. Most important game to play against these two teams. Two, one of the best rivalries in MLS history is Portland versus Seattle. And the playoffs, I know there's no fans there, but be awesome. And LAFC, they might shock some people. I be, or shock me. They might beat Seattle Sounders. I would be absolutely shocked if they beat the Seattle Sounders, but anything is possible. And then Seattle beats Sporting Kansas City and goes on to win the MLS Cup over Philly. And on the Western Con- or Eastern Conference, Philly beating who was it? The New England Revolution. Orlando beating NYCFC. That game could go either way. I could honestly see NYCFC beating Orlando City. They sucked early in the year, but they righted the ship, got to the playoffs. They were projected by me at the beginning of the season to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, let's look at that. Do I still... I have those, right? My old predictions, because I got predictions thing, because I think it would still be on here. It'd be the same predictions, right? Hopefully, this is the right one, because I know there were two... Yeah, there it is. I clicked on the wrong one, because I did this... When I looked at my original predictions. So, Atlanta United did not make the playoffs. Losing Joseph Martinez and Pity Martinez just not being very good in the MLS. Failed me there. Night NYCFC being the two seed. That obviously didn't happen, but they made the playoffs. Toronto's the three seed. They're the two seed. Philadelphia Union as the four seed. They're the one seed. Columbus Crew is the five seed. They're the three seed. DC United didn't make the playoffs. And the New England Revolution. I had them as a seven seed. They're the eight seed. So you know what? I will take that. I had Inter-Miami, who are the 10 seed, as the 8 seed. And then I had, who was the other playoff? Orlando as a 10 seed. Where's Nashville? Am I misreading something? I don't see where Nashville is. Why are they, why do, did they do something at the beginning of the year? Why are, why do I have them in the Western Conference? Did I mess up on something? Because I have them in the Western Conference. Either way, I had them the 10 seed, they're a 7 seed, whatever you want to call it. I'd LAFC is the LAFC is the one seed. Seattle's the two seed. There's my first 100% one. Seattle Sanders is the two seed. Probably my worst prediction out of all of these is LA Galaxy is a three seed. They're one of the worst teams in MLS. Maybe the worst team in the MLS, which is weird to say for the LA Galaxy, but that's what they've done this year. Sporting as the four seed. 
They're the one seed. Portland is the five seed. They're a three seed. Minnesota is a six seed. They're a four seed. Real Salt Lake didn't even make the playoffs. FC Dallas had them as an eight seed. They're a six seed. Nationals, we already said, they're a seven seed. Anyone that I missed, Colorado, I had them as an 11 seed. They were, what, a five seed? That one wasn't great. Oh, I had the Columbus Crew versus Philadelphia Union in my playoff bracket, but I had Columbus winning. That has changed. That has changed since I last predicted this. And I had LAFC playing Seattle Sounders, but in the the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I mean, that was wrong. Oh, God. Pity Martinez winning the MLS MVP for the MLS Cup Final MVP. That ain't happening because... He hasn't been very good since coming to the MLS. And awards. Joseph Martinez, Golden Boot, didn't happen. He tore his ACL as the season started. Carlos Vea, MVP. That ain't happening. Assist King, not Carlos Vea. Newcomer of the year, not, not Javier Hernandez. I would hope it goes to Alan Polito, but I don't know if he'll actually win that. Uh, defender of the year went Miles Robinson from Atlanta. Goalkeeper, again, Atlanta. That's not happening. Caleb Porter for Columbus. That one could happen. I haven't checked the awards for that. Um, and the best 11, I'm not even going to read that because there's, I don't think, well, Alejandro Puzello is in there. So that was a good one. But other than that, I'm not going to read my best 11. So that's the only ones that got there. So yeah, that is my MLS playoff predictions. We will check back on this on uh when was this bracket lockout November 21st? So after whenever the next show will be the 20th or the 21st 20th will be a Friday. That's next Friday, not tomorrow, but next or today, next Friday. So we'll check back on that next week and see if I want to make any adjustments. Cause that's going to happen in a week. Players could get hurt in training and stuff like that. But for right now, I feel pretty confident in this bracket. I do think Seattle will win MLS Cup this year. They've they're creating slowly becoming a dynasty so far. They've won two out of the last two of three MLS Cups recently. And then we'd go on to play Philadelphia. And I think that'd be a fun game. I think that'd be a very, very fun game. I think Seattle's just got too much in the attack for Philadelphia to be able to stop, even though they have Mark McKenzie and Andre Blake. I think that's just gonna be too much for them to stop. Like we've already mentioned Jordan Morris, Nicholas Lodero uh, who else did we mention there? Rudiaz in there as well. Like we got so many good players that they can attack this team. Will Bruin coming off the bench is one of the best off the bench strikers in the MLS. Christian Roldan's there. Gustav Steven, Gustav Svensson, the Swedish guy, is also there. More of a holding midfielder, but whatever. Oh, yeah, this that would be a fun, fun, fun MLS Cup final. Very fun MLS Cup final. Yanmir Adrande, one of the better defenders in the MLS as well. I think he's the highest rated card in FIFA Ultimate Team for MLS defenders, at least at the start, until they start bringing in the fancy cards. I know Aaron Long's got a very cool MLS card where he's got his mullet flowing. Aaron Long, best hair in the MLS by far. I don't really care. You can look at Roman Torres and look at his afro, but there's no way anybody surpasses the illustrious mullet that Aaron Long possesses. Go and look at that beautiful thing. That should be the captain of the United States just be based off his mullet. I think he'd be a good captain for the U.S., but it's obviously should be Christian Pulisic. In second place, I'd probably give it to Weston, Zach Steffen after that. But Aaron Long will get talked about. Same with Tyler Adams. Josie, nah, Josie won't get talked about for it, but who is the captain's armband for tonight's game against Wales? Um... 
I'm going to go Stefan, Zach Stefan. He's 25 years old. I think they said he's the fourth oldest player on this team. So I will go with Zach Stefan wearing the captain's arm. But I wouldn't be surprised with John Brooks wearing it as well, but he hasn't played for the U.S. in a while. So maybe they don't give it to him. But I'm going to go with like Zach Stefan or Weston McKinney because those two get the armband a lot from Greg Beerhalter. So I'm going to go with either McKinney or Stefan for tonight. My gut says Stefan, though, for the captaincy for the U.S. men's national team tonight. And I know I know a lot of you out there, some of you, I shouldn't say a lot of you, I, there's probably some of you out there that care about soccer, but I would say the majority of you either A, don't watch soccer, or B, don't care about soccer, but I'm sorry, this is my show, and I have played soccer my entire life. I've played soccer longer than any sport ever. Yeah, crazy. I love soccer. I love watching soccer. I love talking soccer, and... So I had to get some stuff talked about today because the U.S. is playing today. I think it's you got to mention the U.S. This is one of the most exciting teams they put together as far as youthfulness, and it's not an all-MLS team. It's actually players that are playing over in Europe, and I love the MLS. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing the MLS when I say that, but when people see players from Barcelona or even PSV or Manchester City or RB Leipzig, or Bayern Munich, it excites people a little more than seeing players from the San Jose Earthquakes, ooh, the Minnesota United, ooh. That doesn't really excite people. Unless you see, like, LA Galaxy, which people really associate the LA Galaxy with success for the U.S. men's national team. If you look at the likes of Landon Donovan, the all-time cap player Kobe Jones, get a lot of players from there. But... MLS players don't usually excite the average fan unless you know who those players are. But the average person probably won't get excited when they see Jackson Ewell in the team, even though he's a very talented holding midfielder. As long as it keeps Will Trapp out of the team, who was Greg Beerhalter's captain with the Columbus crew, now he's with Inter-Miami, I think we're good. Now Inter-Miami's got Luis Robles down there as well with Will Trapp and Rodolfo Pizarro. Actually, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Uh... Inter Miami is beating <laughs> Nashville. I was going through my head of all the players they have: Gonzalo Higuain, Blaise Matuidi, Rodolfo Pizarro. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with them with Luis Luis Robles. I'm gonna go with them over Nashville, even though Nashville's got a better defense. But there's some world former world class players on Inter Miami, so I, I gotta switch it up a little bit. And maybe if it changes when we do the show on next Friday. I'll look at that again, but I totally for I was running through the players on Inter Miami in my head, and I was like, "Ooh, wait, there's some good players on Inter Miami." Ah, man. But okay, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. A lot of you are wanting football, like American football talk, because maybe you don't you don't care about soccer. You just want to talk about football, basketball, baseball, the the major sports in America, hockey, not necessarily soccer. Soccer is the biggest sport in the world, but in the United States, popularity-wise, soccer, though it's on the rise, is not very talked about in the average household. Most people go like, hey, did you watch that NFL game last night? Oh, yeah, I totally did, bro. Did you see how awesome it was? No one goes, hey, man, did you watch Sporting Kansas City beat up Mount Minnesota United last night? I didn't even know there was a game last night. No, I did not, and I don't want to talk about it because I don't care. It's usually how those conversations go, but I'm not one of those people that will do that 
Played soccer, again, played soccer my entire life, watched soccer my entire life. I've already talked about my Manchester United Sporting Kansas City links. So, yeah, that's why we had to talk about, but we'll get to the NFL. Let's talk about some NFL football. NFL football, yes. I don't, okay, what's what's an NFL song we could do? I'm all, the only thing that's running through my head right now is the SEC on CBS. Okay, we're done. I'm sorry. But let's do the NFL draft. This is the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft from 1997 to 2020. Now, obviously, as I said earlier, as my birthday was Wednesday, thank you for the, the birthday wishes. This is going back till 1997. Now, I was not alive for the 1997 draft. But we did the 1997 draft because that was the year I was born. So there's 24 quarterbacks on here. I'm only 23 years old. But there's 24 quarterbacks on here. And we're going to go in reverse order. Because 1997 is a fantastic quarterback that, again, I would assume... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just wrong about this. And maybe everybody's heard of this person before. But you'll be you'll be surprised. Let's just leave it like that. So we'll start off with 2020. Now, obviously... We got different tier lists. I created this tier list this morning. Now, the tier list goes Hall of Fame, great career, good, average, or bust. If you're the first quarterback taken in the draft, there is, should be, once you're below average, you're a bust. So, there's no, like, bad or below average. If you're the first quarterback taken in the draft and you're below average, you're just a straight bust. That's just how it works in the NFL. Maybe fair or unfair, however you view it. That's just how it works. If you're below average, you're a bust. And you're a Hall of Famer, great career, good, average, or a bust. So starting off this year, and the, every picture that we got on here is from the team they got drafted by. So you'll see, like, spoiler alerts, but all you should know, I have a general idea who the first quarterback was taken in each draft. So we got, like, Sam Bradford in a Rams uniform. We got Cam Newton in a Panthers uniform. Blake Bortles in a Jags uniform. Alex Smith in a 49ers uniform. Jameis Winston in a Buccaneers uniform. And yeah, Chad Pennington in a Jets uniform, but I would assume most people just know him as the Jets and forget he played for the Dolphins, but had a little career resurgence playing for the Miami Dolphins since leaving the New York Jets. And obviously had a good career, but quarterback that was taken in the sixth round of that year's draft was Tom Brady. So we're not going to do it based off of who else was in that draft? Because if we did that, we would throw Alex Smith in bust because Aaron Rodgers was drafted after him, and we would throw Mitchell Trubisky in bust, which we might do that anyways because out Patrick Mahomes and um, wow, Deshaun Watson were taking after him. But we're not gonna do that because Alex Smith's not a bust, so we're not comparing him because obviously if you that's what Marvin Williams in the NBA. This is a random tidbit. He often gets called a draft bust because he was taken before Chris Paul on a team that needed a point guard more than a power forward. But he's not a bust. Marvin Williams has had himself a really good career in the NBA. He's not a bust, but just because... Who did he even get drafted? I can't remember who he got drafted by. But just because they needed a point guard and they took him doesn't mean that he's a bust because you don't like the player that they drafted instead of the player they should have drafted. That's the, the same thing here. Like calling Alex Smith a bust because he didn't turn out to be Aaron Rodgers. It's a stupid draft pick by not taking Aaron Rodgers. And it's even dumber that Aaron Rodgers fell the way he the way he did. But 
We will not do that. We will talk about how they were in their own careers. Their individual careers, not including anybody else. If I do that on accident, I'm sorry. I'm obviously going to bring up those quarterbacks, but I'm not going to base their careers off of the quarterback that was better in the case of Trubisky and Alex Smith. And even you could go Eli Manning, too, in that, or Chad Pennington. But we're not going to do that. We are not going to do that. And this is another thing. <laughs> I will bring this up. Actually, no, we're going to start off on the 2021st overall pick, Joe Burrow. This draft class, quarterback draft class, has been compared recently to the 2004 draft class, which was the Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Big Ben Roethlisberger draft class. Obviously, the 2020 draft class saw three really good quarterbacks go early in the likes of Joe Burrow, Tua, and Justin Herbert. And if you know anything about the 2004 draft class, the fourth quarterback take was J.P. Lossman. So I'm sorry, Packers fans, but if this scenario plays out, you got the J.P. Lossman of the draft. <laughs> I hope for your sake that you did not get the J.P. Lossman of the draft because I witnessed J.P. Lossman play for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I love J.P. Lossman, the meme, because he's a Bill Buffalo Bills meme. I have his jersey hanging in my closet. But he was not a good quarterback. Though, he got, he's going to get credited with creating the most can't-miss prospect of college football history in Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, he's the quarterback coach at Clemson. Or at least was. I don't know if he still is. But Jordan Love, man, he hasn't dressed an NFL game yet. Hasn't seen any NFL action yet. It's not really looking good to be the... I mean, I wouldn't want to be the J.P. Lossman of my draft class, but that's the way it's looking right now for Jordan Love when Ben DiNucci, I know by default because everybody got hurt, got a game, and even dressed before Jordan Love did. But, yeah, and there was another thing that I saw on, uh, where was it, Twitter or Instagram? I can't remember where it was, but it was comparing <laughs> Tale of the Tape, uh, this is ESPN's Mike Tannenbaum, talking about Tua versus Herbert. And it's got little check marks because obviously the Chargers and Dolphins are playing this Sunday. Those will be a very, very fun game between two very young quarterbacks. Size, Herbert. Arm strength, Herbert. Athleticism, Herbert. And then I've never heard this when talking about comparing quarterbacks, but icon factor was one of the factors they used for that. Can you really put in icon factor when they've played, <laughs> when Tua's played two games? And they've not even played an entire season with Herbert's putting up the numbers he has in his rookie year. Icon factor. I don't know. So Herbert checks every box other than <laughs> icon factor. But we're going to base this off icon. I've never heard that before. I've obviously heard the term icon and icon factor, but not when comparing <laughs> young quarterbacks. Does Tua have more icon factor than Justin Herbert? I don't know. They've played less than a season. How am I supposed to judge their icon factor this early in their careers? And if we base look at Tua's games compared to Justin Herbert's games, Herbert hasn't had a bad game. Tua was not very good in his first start. Yet they got the win, but he did, his statistically, Tua did not have himself a great game. Now, he balled, he balled TF out against the Arizona Cardinals, but in his first game... You think Icon Factor at this point in time would sway towards Herbert, but that's just where I'm standing at this point in time. But I digress. Let's go into this list. We've held off this list long enough. So Joe Burrow, it's kind of hard. Oh, no, we're going to get the spinning wheel of death. Right as I was on Joe Burrow, this we dealt with this the other week 
when we did the tier list of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And this is the exact same thing that's going on right now. I just want to do the tier list. Can we not buffer one time? If I go to like, I mean, this could be just a Safari thing. I'll go to Chrome, put the link in on Chrome and see if that works. Because it should still work, right? Come on, pictures load. Yep, all the pictures are there. Let's get this tier list underway. So obviously Joe Burrow, all we can put him in right now is good because he's had himself a good rookie year, a really good rookie year. Him and Herbert, obviously top two guys for rookie of the year. I mean, it's obvious. Offensive rookie of the year between Herbert and Joe Burrow. I think it's hard not to put him in good, especially right now. He's only played less than, he's played less than a season. So I think we can only throw him in good right now. So he hasn't had a great career yet. He's above average. He's, he's just good right now. He's had one good year. You know, Vince Young had a good year. <laughs> he got put on the cover of Madden. Sucked the rest of his career. Called the Eagles a super team, and they proceeded to miss the playoffs. You usually don't hear that coming from your backup quarterback calling your team a super team, but you know what? Love the confidence, Vince. Yeah, but Joe Burrow, beast. Love Joe Burrow. One of my favorite college quarterbacks of all time. I've never felt more connected to a college team that I've never cared about or had any affiliation with than the 2019-2020 LSU Tigers football team, mostly because of Joe Burrow. Dude's a tough SOB. That dude's awesome, and he's going to ball out. Hopefully they don't ruin his career like Indianapolis did with uh, Andrew Luck, who we'll talk about a little later, but right now Joe Burrow is an absolute beast. they got to build that off the line. Target Penny Sewell on this draft, and you guys will be fine. Walker Little will obviously get talked about as well for tackle spots. Alex Leatherwood, if you want to get an early second round, late first round tackle. Alaric Jackson could also get talked about in there as well. You obviously got Joe Thomas incarnate and Jonah Williams. I haven't seen a lot of Jonah Williams. I don't know how well he's been playing since he's been in the NFL. You got Quentin Spain from the Bills, which I liked Quentin Spain. But he lost his starting job in Buffalo, so they just made way for John Feliciano to come back in. But Burrow is good. I love Joe Burrow. Next quarterback on this list. Get that tier list out of there. So, obviously, Joe Burrow went 2020. We got Kyler Murray in 2019. Uh, Right now, Kyler Murray's had a good career. We can't put him in the great or unless he could win the MVP this year. Probably not, but he could. He's putting up great numbers this year. Do we put him in a great career when he's he's only played two years? I mean, he's a great quarterback. Both these dudes are great quarterbacks. I love Joe Burrow. I love Kyler Murray. Bills and Cardinals will play this Sunday, so that'll be a very, very, very fun and exciting game. But he's only played a season, so I think we can only put him in good career so far. Baker Mayfield, unlike Kyler Murray, has played more than two seasons. He's just average. Baker Mayfield is an average quarterback who needs a good run game to succeed in the NFL. Which is fair, because there's a lot of good quarterbacks that have succeeded off of having good pieces around him. As we've talked about, Trent Dilfer won a freaking Super Bowl because of Jamal Lewis and the Ravens' defense. Baker Mayfield could have a very successful, very long career with the likes of Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt run the ball for him. But if you take those two away, he's not that good. He's just an average NFL quarterback. He doesn't do anything that wows anybody. And we talked about this when we did the... What was that? What, did, what do I want to call this? the put the quarterbacks where they were scouted on like how they were scouted coming out of college baker was just an average to above average quarterback and the problem with that is you don't draft average to even above average quarterbacks first overall 
You don't do that. And that's what the Browns did. And the thing for Baker that hurts him a lot is the fact that this GM and this coach had nothing to do with drafting him. So if he doesn't start playing above average, even he needs to just play good, he's going to lose his job. These co- This coaching staff and this GM have no affiliation with him. He got drafted by freaking John Dorsey and Hugh Jackson. The coaches right now is Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry is the GM. I don't think they care about Baker. If they don't like him after this year, don't be shocked if Kevin Stefanski gets a quarterback that he wants. Just don't be shocked if that does happen. 2017, next one, obviously the Mahomes and Watson draft, but it's Trubisky. He's a bust. He's the only backup that we have mentioned so far. He's been benched. Now, do I think he's a better quarterback than Nick Foles and would do better for the Bears than Foles? Yes, because I think he can do more than Nick Foles can. Nick Foles is a freaking statue. He's a good situational quarterback. I would say great situational quarterback, but full-time starter? No, he's not that good. And Trubisky has been benched. He's going to go on to be a backup somewhere, and I said he'd go to Cleveland. Because that was a team that, again, but same thing with Baker. The GM and coach that wanted him, or at least made it seem like they wanted him in Cleveland, are not there anymore. So maybe that doesn't work. Maybe Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry don't want Trubisky. But he's started games in the NFL. I know he made a Pro Bowl, but that doesn't really matter for anything, especially with how many players opted out of the Pro Bowl that year. But he could push Trubisky, or push Mayfield, kind of like Marcus Mariota. I think Mariota is a better quarterback than Trubisky, but Mariota has pushed Derek Carr. Maybe not a ton, but Derek Carr has looked more like the Derek Carr that signed the big contract prior to breaking his leg than the Derek Carr of the past two years, or he's just been average. Derek Carr has been playing lights out this year for the Raiders, and I think Trubisky could maybe do the same thing for Baker. Baker had a good rookie year where he beat up on bad teams, didn't play good against the good teams, and then last year got exposed because of terrible coaching. And But the problem is he was the reason they hired Freddie Kitchens. So that doesn't look great on him either. But, hey, maybe Trubisky can push someone like, maybe not, not start, but be a backup there. Uh, next one we got going on here, the 2016 draft, Jared Goff. Jared Goff has had himself a good career. Jared Goff has been a very good quarter. He got to a freaking Super Bowl, signed a big money contract with the Rams, has put up good numbers in the NFL, can make a lot of really good throws, but is inconsistent. He's a good quarterback. Oh, jeez. He's a good quarterback, but not great. He's not a Hall of Famer either. I like him. Jeez. Okay. I like I like Jared Goff, but he's just a good quarterback. I think Kyler Murray's a better quarterback than him. But Jared Goff's played longer in the NFL, so there's more to judge him on than Kyler Murray. I know Kyler won the Rookie of the Year and has balled out this year, but great career. He's had a good career so far. Hasn't won a lot of things yet. But Goff started off slow, picked it up when McVay got there, and kind of stayed the same. He's kind of just he's a good quarterback. I think he's better than Baker, but I think he's a I think he's a good quarterback. I like Jared Goff. 2015, famous Jameis. Famous Jameis Winston is a bust. Um, yeah, I know he put up good numbers in Tampa, but that was mostly because they were down in so many games. But you can't have a 30-30 season and tell me, statistically, I'm balling. Because you're not. 
you threw 30 interceptions. That's not balling. And he's annoying, too. The W thing. Now he's a backup. I know he put up good numbers in Tampa, but there's a reason he's a backup now, because not a lot of people want him as their franchise quarterback anymore. I don't think he's... I think he benefited from having receivers like Mike Willie, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, even O.J. Howard, but he's just not... That he'll put up good numbers. That's mostly because A, the Bucks didn't have a, any resemblance of a running game, and B, they were losing every game, so they had to throw the ball. Fitzpatrick put up career numbers in Tampa Bay. The Chris Ryan Fitzpatrick's not a great passer that puts up godly numbers, but he balled out in Tampa. He's been balling out in Miami, but they had to use they had GM probably breathing down Brian Flores' neck, saying, "Hey," and I didn't. This is since I brought up Brian Flores, I didn't mention him in Coach of the Year. Completely forgot about him. But he should be talked about in the NFL Coach of the Year this year. Brian Flores is a good coach. Brian Flores looks to be the one Bill Belichick disciple in the NFL that actually pans out. He is a very good head coach. I really like Brian Flores. And I hate that he's on the Miami Dolphins, but I really like Brian Flores. And I forgot to bring him up when we talked about the coaches for the Coach of the Year, the awards thing. I would like to rectify that now because once I got done with the show, I remembered that. I was like, crap. I did not bring that up, but Brian Flores is a beast. But Jameis Winston, on the other hand, is not. Uh, he's a bust right now. 2014 NFL draft, Blake Bortles, same thing, bust. He stinks. I watched him live in Buffalo. I know the memes are great. I know part of my take and the Blake Bortles fan club. I like Blake Bortles. I have no problem with Blake Bortles the person. I just don't like watching Blake Bortles the quarterback. I think a lot of people can agree with that. His throwing motion's weird. Got carried by a good defense and Leonard Fournette. Without that, kind of stinks. Went to a backup. I don't even know if he's on a team anymore. But actually, no, he's on the Broncos, isn't he? I think he's on the Broncos. I don't. He. I don't remember if he's. Is he still on the Broncos? I'm not. Do I check? Yeah, we'll check. Yeah, he's still on the Broncos. So that's where he's at right now. But yeah, overall for his career, he is a bust. Next one. The Eric Fisher draft. <laughs> and if you know the Eric Fisher draft, you know this is one of the worst quarterback draft classes of all time. And the first quarterback taken in the draft is at 16 overall, EJ Manuel. Bust. Good Lord. I think got screwed by having an incompetent head coach in Doug Marone. Uh, my dad likes EJ Manuel. I had no problem with EJ Manuel. Liked him at Florida State. But and we, were, we were at a Barnstormers game when they drafted him. We were at a freaking Iowa Barnstormers game, and I was looking at my phone following the draft because we had season tickets. We were, I was a diehard Barnstormers fan when I was younger. I was not missing Barnstormers games for anything. So when the draft, even with the draft on, I had to go to the Barnstormers game. But we are following it. So E.J. Manuel got drafted by the Bills. Kind of excited because it's like same thing we talked about the other day. Having a new young quarterback come in, getting drafted the first round, excites the fan base. Masks a lot of the problems because your fans are excited because you drafted a quarterback. But EJ Manuel, not very good. Battled injuries. Battled bad coaching. Had weapons. Had the likes of uh, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Goodwin. They had good players. But he just wasn't very good. He got beat out by Tyrod Taylor when they signed him from Baltimore. Matt Castle became the backup after that, and then he went off to Oakland. Same path that J.P. Lossman did, and Trent Edwards did, but I think Trent went to Philly first before he went to Oakland. But yeah, EJ, yeah, sadly, he's a bust. My dad likes him, but EJ overall is a bust. Next one, Andrew Luck. This one hurts. 
Andrew Luck had a good career. He could have had a great career, but he retired early, and I'm not going to sit here and bash Andrew Luck for retiring early because Andrew Luck put up with some shit in Indianapolis, and I wish him nothing but the best in retirement. But he didn't have a great career. He battled injuries. He did, though, push the Colts more than what they probably should have been. They should not have been as good as they were, and he made them better. And I'm sad that he retired, but because he could have had a great career. He could have been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Was for a little bit. But the injuries kept him from having a great career. Next one, Cam Newton. Cam Newton's had a great career. Cam Newton won an MVP, been to a Super Bowl, has balled out for the Panthers, not so much for the Patriots, but has battled injuries, much like Andrew Luck. And like Steve McNair, I think his body's going to give up on him, sadly, because he's one of the most freakish athletes we've seen in the NFL. But, again, like Steve, I love Steve McNair. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time growing up. I love watching Steve McNair highlights. Like, when he played for the Oilers, when he played for the Titans. I know they were the same thing, Titans and Oilers, pretty much. But, he went to the Ravens. He just wasn't the same. Retired. He wanted to retire when he was on the Titans. I think Cam Newton... I think Cam Newton should retire soon. His body's not the same that it used to be. And it's his play has gone downhill ever since having COVID. Feel bad for Cam because I like Cam Newton, but yeah, I would like to see him do well, but not on the Patriots. And makes me happy that the Patriots stink, but they're not hiding the fact they stink either. But yeah, Cam's had a great career. Hall of Famer, no, but he's had himself a great career. Next quarterback, we're in the twenty. Now we're in twenty ten. Sam Bradford. Sam was just average. Sam had good good moments in the NFL. Sam had some average moments, mostly average moments in the NFL. Went to Philly. Somehow the Eagles weaseled the Vikings out of a first-round draft pick for him when they drafted Carson Wentz. Put up good numbers in Minnesota, but then kept getting hurt and then got hurt in Arizona. Just injuries. He never did anything spectacular, never did anything really above average. He was just a bang-average quarterback. Next one. And I sometimes forget that this quarterback is older than him. But Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford. This one's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to put Matthew Stafford has had a great career so far. For the way it started with how many injuries he battled coming out of Georgia. And then how he rectified that and how he's had to put up with this garbage Lions team. And how he's one of the, he is one of the most respected quarterbacks in the NFL. Matthew Stafford has had a great career, but he's not going to go in the Hall of Fame, no. Stat-wise, he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time, if you look at just stats, but he won't end up in the Hall of Fame. But he's had a, he's had himself a good career, just individually. Team-wise, the Lions suck, and have always sucked. They haven't won a playoff game with him there, but I think they've been to three playoff games. Lost them all, but I think he's had himself a great career. And maybe you could put him down in good because they haven't done anything, but I'd throw him, I'd put him in... The great career. Same thing with this next guy, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has had himself a great career. He's gone to a Super Bowl, won an MVP. Same thing as Cam Newton. Gone to a Super Bowl, won an MVP. Has dealt with terrible defenses his entire, mostly his entire career. Has benefited from having Julio Jones on his roster and obviously having uh, Calvin Ridley there now. Tony Gonzalez was there. You had Mac Michael Turner coming over from the Chargers. Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. Obviously, he's had great weapons around him, but you still have to hit those weapons. 
I don't think they'd be the same team if Matt Schaub was their starting quarterback. So for that, Matt Ryan's had himself a great career. Same thing with the two above him, two before him. Not a Hall of Famer, but great career. Matt Ryan's had himself a great career. Same, He's the same thing as Cam Newton. MVP went to a Super Bowl, but he will not be in the Hall of Fame. Divided a lot of Falcons fans, too, throughout his time in Atlanta. Next one, Jamarcus Russell. We don't really need to talk about him that much. Bust, I think everybody knows that. Him and Ryan Leaf, the two biggest draft busts of all time for quarterbacks. Obviously, likes of Courtney Brown will be mentioned in there as well. If you don't know who Courtney Brown is, drafted first overall by the Cleveland Browns. I think he was their first-to-first draft pick since coming back to Cleveland. But Jamarcus Russell stinks. Everybody knows that. I'm not going to spend too much time on him, but bust. 2006 NFL draft, we have Vince Young. Same thing with Vince, bust. You're drafted third overall, had one good year, became a backup shortly, and then was washed out of the NFL shortly after that. Again, called the Eagles a super team, and then they proceeded to miss the playoffs. I can't imagine Michael Vick was too happy when, we'll talk about Vick later, but that Vince Young said, yeah, we're a super team and you're the back quarterback. Leave the talking to the starters. But Vince Young did not have him, did not paint himself in glory in the NFL. Did win rookie of the year. Had some good moments with the Titans. Replaced Steve McNair, which was hard enough as that is. Replacing, what, the Titans? Other, like the Tennessee Titans. Were not, I know the, the Oilers are... The Tennessee Titans. But excluding the Oilers, and obviously Warren Moon being the greatest quarterback in their history, in the Tennessee Titans era, no quarterback has come close to Steve McNair. Air McNair was amazing. Co-MVP with Peyton Manning. That dude was awesome. Air McNair was a beast. And I love talking about Steve McNair. And Vince Young having to replace him is not easy, but Vince Young probably should have won the Heisman, uh, won a national championship in the greatest national championship game ever played, Probably greatest college game ever played, but yeah, did not bode well for him in Tennessee. Alex Smith, do we put him in good career or do we put him average? He's been pretty average. I love Alex Smith. I think everybody loves Alex Smith, but he's never done anything that's been like, wow, I wish I'm going to do this because Alex Smith is my role model. I mean, as a football player, obviously Alex Smith's a great person from what we can tell on the outside, but as a football player, there's not a lot of people that are going, yes. Remember that one time Alex Smith did this? No, I think he got screwed out of a starting job at San Francisco, but went to Kansas City, put up good numbers there. Now he's in Washington, got the starting job back. I'd say he's just an average career. I don't even think Alex Smith would say he had himself a great career. I would, Alex Smith had a good career, but it's hard to put where, I don't know where to put Alex Smith. It's good or great, good or average career, because he hasn't put up great numbers. He had one, his best year was in Can- his last year in Kansas City. If my memory serves me right, statistically. But, yeah. I just think he's average. I don't, it's, nothing against Alex Smith. Again, I really like Alex Smith, but, yeah. Eli Manning, uh, Hall of Famer. Won two Super Bowls. Yeah, that's pretty much all I need to say about Eli Manning. Won two Super Bowls. Had one of the weirder draft experiences of all time. Uh, not great statistics throughout his entire career, but he's a Hall of Famer. Whether you like it or not, Eli Manning will be inducted to the Hall of Fame. I know he divides opinions around the sports world because of his play in the regular season, but playoff Eli Manning, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history, is playoff Eli Manning. Awesome quarterback in the playoffs. Next one, Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer had himself a great career. Carson Palmer was a very good quarterback. Put up 
godly numbers in Cincy and Arizona. We're going to forget about that little blip that he had in Oakland, even though it was, quote-unquote, the greatest trade of all time, according to Hugh Jackson. He didn't do a lot in Oakland. It was a very weird time for him in that career. He wanted to get out of Cincinnati bad. They traded him to Oakland, and... Or I can't remember if they traded him or signed him, because I think he retired or, or was going to retire if the Bengals didn't get rid of him. But Carson Palmer had himself a great career. Look at the stuff he did in Arizona the latter parts of his career. If he didn't get hurt, the Cardinals, I don't think, lose to the Carolina Panthers when they had John Skelton as their starting quarterback. I don't think they lose that game. I think Carson Palmer and that Cardinals team do a lot more than what they actually did because of how many injuries he sustained. And I think the Cincinnati Bengals could have at least gone to the Super Bowl if Carson Palmer didn't destroy his knee against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That Bengals team was awesome. And then John Kitten has to come. I watched that at my house with my grandpa Roger, who was a big-time Steelers fan. So I had to sit there and watch that. And Carson Palmer and that Bengals team should have been the best Bengals team. Uh, probably are still the best Bengals team they've ever had. Minus the in the 21st century. I'm obviously not going to discredit the Ken Anderson or Boomer Sias Bengals because those two teams went to Super Bowls. But this Bengals team could have been one of those. And Marvin Lewis... If he didn't get hurt, I think Marvin Lewis leaves his Bengals career with at least one playoff win because he left with none. But Carson Palmer, great NFL career. Not Hall of Famer, but great NFL career. Derek Carr, or David Carr, he's going to go and bust. And I put a picture on him getting sacked because that was pretty much David Carr's career, was him getting sacked. His rookie year got sacked 76 times. 76. He had more sack yardage than rushing yards he got sacked more time than rushing attempts his rookie year and I feel bad for David Carr because he probably would have turned out to be a good quarterback if they had some semblance of an offensive line in Houston but they did not he had Andre Johnson but that only got him so far because he kept getting destroyed his entire career in Houston but he is a bust and I feel bad for him because of how many times that 76 times is a freaking lot 400-something yards of sack yardage is not great. And I had to use a picture of him getting sat because that was an entire career in Houston. Next one on this list, 2001 draft, obviously, is Michael Vick. Michael Vick had himself a great career in the NFL. Uh, the resurgence that he had in Philadelphia, if that Michael Vick was the one that we saw in Atlanta in the same body of mind, that if he had that same mindset that he was in Atlanta, we could be talking about a Hall of Fame career. But, sadly, he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. The what stuff he did in Atlanta was mind-boggling at times. He was awesome. My Uncle Mike's favorite player on the Falcons, because my Uncle Mike's a Falcons fan, I loved watching Michael Vick. I loved watching him on the Eagles, too, because he actually became a, a really good passer. He was an all-right passer in the Fal- with the Falcons, more of an athlete than anything. But, good Lord, Michael Vick had one of the strongest arms I've ever seen on a football field. Michael Vick had, what was it, a Gatorade commercial? I think it was a Gatorade commercial. I think it was at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, where USC plays. He launched the ball out of the stadium. Obviously, it's not a real commercial, or real throw, but it would not. I would not put it out of the realm of possibility that Michael Vick could actually make that throw. Because Michael Vick has arguably one of the strongest arms on this list, but not very accurate. Lamar Jackson, I know he gets this is a lazy comparison to Lamar and Michael Vick, and I know Lamar's not having a great year this year, but Lamar is 10 times the quarterback Michael Vick is. Michael Vick was. 
Lamar is way more accurate than Michael Vick. Not as strong as an arm, but way more accurate than Vick. And early Michael Vick, I think Lamar has it more going upstairs than early career Michael Vick did. I think later career Michael Vick, when he was on the Eagles balling out, had the same mindset then as he did in Atlanta. It's a guaranteed Hall of Fame career, but he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Sadly, even though he was a great, great quarterback for the Atlanta Fal- or the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm, I messed up. My, Courtney Brown was the second draft pick because I forgot that this one quarterback went before Courtney Brown for the Cleveland Browns draft picks. But we'll talk about that guy in a little bit. The next quarterback we're talking about is Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington had an average career in the NFL. Battled injuries. Uh, was a consistent winner of the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Was the one quarterback that ended the Patriots' reign of terror in the AFC East, winning the division with the Dolphins, if you remember that, when Matt Cass was the quarterback. So weird when, man, the system quarterback Tom Brady, the Patriots missed the playoffs without Tom Brady and are 3-3 three and three against the Bills against Belichick, with Belichick, but what, 2-32 and 32 or 3-32 and 32 against the Bills with Brady and Belichick? Man, it's almost like before Tom Brady, the Patriots were really bad, and then post-Tom Brady, they're still really bad. It's like something in there, there's like a, a piece missing there, but I can't put it together. Man, but yeah, Tom Brady, one of the greatest system quarterbacks of all time. Am I right? Yeah, I hate. I've talked about how much I hate the phrase system quarterback, and that one's really annoying. But Chad Pennington, average career, good good player. I would say he's just an average quarterback, though. Good player, but yeah. Next one, one of the worst quarterback draft classes in NFL history, the 99 draft class, Tim Couch. Good Lord. Donovan McNabb went number two, obviously had himself a good career with Philadelphia, and then Achilles Smith went to the Bengals. Goodness gracious, what a terrible... <laughs> Tim Couch and Achilles Smith in the same draft class. Both go to the Ohio teams. What a terrible year to be a fan of any football team in Ohio, the NFL. Goodness gracious, Tim Couch. We don't need to talk about Tim Couch that much. Next one, the 98 draft, Peyton Manning, Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning is... One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Top five quarterbacks of NFL history. Unquestioned. Like, the stuff Peyton Manning did was immense. And he's kept Adam Gase in the job for way longer than what he probably should have been. Because, for some reason, coaching Peyton Manning means you are a good coach. But, yeah, Peyton Manning, undoubted Hall of Famer. greatest, One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And then the 97 draft, the last draft class here. <laughs> Man. The 26th overall pick. The lowest pick out of any quarterback on this list. And I triple-checked this because (laughs) you have to make sure that you don't get this one wrong. 26th overall pick. Again, the lowest pick before this was EJ Manuel at 16. Same with Chad Penny. Uh, Chad Penny might be 18, but lowest pick by far. Jim Druckenmiller. <laughs> I know. I know. Legendary NFL quarterback. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot to talk about Jim Druckenmiller. Drunk, 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 oh, man. For Virginia Tech, it was all Big East team in 1996. Put up decent numbers. It caused 2,000 yards passing, 17 touchdowns, 5 picks in his last year at Virginia Tech. Um, yeah. I don't know. Here's a comment on Drunken Miller from Steve Mariucci, former Steve Mariucci, former coach of the 49ers. Planning on him 
being the heir apparent to the Hall of Fame quarterback, Steve Young. I would like to think he's our quarterback of the future. He wasn't. Drunken Miller sucked, just to put it lightly. He played six games, started one, and played only two years in the NFL. Yeah, one touchdown, four picks, completed 40, 40% of his passes. Man, the first quarterback taken in the 97 draft. The year I was born, Drucken Miller. And then you obviously had like Jake Plummer was in that draft class as well. Probably <laughs> the, this is not a great thing when you go, wow, yeah, Jake Plummer. That's the best quarterback of this draft class. Yeah, Danny Warfel in there as well, won the Heisman Trophy. Akoi Detmer is is in this draft class as well. There is not a lot of positives coming out of this draft class when it comes to quarterbacks. But like Warren Warwick Dunn was drafted in this draft, Tiki Barber, Corey Dillon, Tony Gonzalez, Orlando Pace was in this draft, Derek Mason was in this draft, Walter Jones, Tariq Glenn, uh, Pro Bowler at tackle, Mike Vrabel was in this draft class. James Ferrier, a longtime linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, is in this draft class. Right, there's some good players that came out of this draft. Jason Taylor, Marcellus Wiley, who played for the Bills for a while, Al Harris, Rondé Barber in this draft. Like, there's some good players in this draft class. But your quarterback that was taken first was Steve, it was Jim Druckenmiller. Druck and Miller. That's not a great, I had to put him on here. So, yeah, there's my tier list. Hall of Famers are Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. Great career. We have Cam Newton, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Carson Palmer, and Michael Vick. Good careers. Uh, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, Andrew Luck. Average careers. Baker, Sam Bradford, Alex Smith, and Chad Pennington. Then busts. Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Winston, Blake Borles, EJ Manuel, Jamarcus Russell, Vince Young, David Carr, Tim Couch, and Jim Drunkenmiller. So yeah, that's all we got for you today. This is a little longer show than what I originally anticipated, but that's it for today's show. We're at almost an hour and a half. This is the longest show we've done in a while, but we had a lot of stuff to talk about today in regards to the U.S. men's national team and my tier list for Friday Fun Day. So make sure you go and watch the, well, hopefully you guys watched the game because this is going on on Friday, yesterday, today, what's, well, no, today's Thursday, but the show's going out on Friday. So I hope you all watch the U.S. Men's National Team game against Wales. And yeah, fill, up an NFL, fill out an NMLS playoff bracket. And go create a tier list as well. As always, go and follow Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Go like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow the Spotify and Apple Podcast accounts. This is your host, Logan Blackman. I will see y'all later. Peace.